Praise the Lord. Amen. So good to be in the house of God this evening. Amen. Aren't you thankful for this particular God? Aren't you thankful for a God that loves us, wants the very best for us, suffered on a cross and died for us so that we could live forever with Him? Praise God. Amen. Let's all stand. This God is worthy of worship. He's worthy of praise. He's worthy of our full attention tonight. When He speaks, we need to listen. When He moves, we need to take action. We need to follow after Him. We need to pursue Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen. He's worthy of emulation. Praise God. Let's call out to Him this evening. Let's pray that His perfect will would be manifest here. That everything He's desiring to do would take place. Not our desire, His desire. This is His church. We are His people. And it is our privilege and it's our delight to be called as such. His children. Amen. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. I am so thankful for You. I'm so thankful for Your so great salvation. I'm thankful again for the opportunity You've given us here tonight to enter into Your presence, to hear Your voice, to feel Your touch, to spend time in the very presence of God. I pray, Lord, as it were, that we could sit at Your feet for a while tonight and learn of You wisdom, knowledge, and instruction. I pray, Lord Jesus, that Your Word would go forth, that it would accomplish all that You please. Help us, Lord, to be doers and not hearers only, to receive the Word of truth with joy and with gladness and with thanksgiving of heart. Hallelujah, Jesus. Help us, I pray, to submit ourselves wholly and completely to You, to give ourselves holy and completely to the Lord our God tonight, holding nothing back. Hallelujah, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that this message would impact, that it would minister, that it would, that it would do exactly as You desire, exactly as we need. I pray, Lord Jesus, that Your Spirit would have free reign here tonight, that You would minister, that You would move, that You would speak, that we would hear, that we would submit, that we would obey. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the Lion of the tribe of Judah. You are the highest. You are the greatest. You are the one that sits upon the throne. Hallelujah, Jesus. I am so in awe of You. I am so enamored and enraptured by You. You are the Lord our God and there is none else. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship You and You alone. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated tonight. Uh, Before we go any farther, I do need to say that uh, Brother Bob, people keep throwing pizzas at this guy, and uh, he keeps bringing them here. And I don't mind that one bit. So, uh, after service tonight, I know it's short notice, but if you can stay, and if you have room yet, uh, we're going to have a pizza downstairs cooked up and ready to go. So, you're invited to stay a little bit after and enjoy some pizza. Amen. Our uh, scripture text tonight is going to be found in the book of Matthew, chapter 22. We'll read the first 14 verses. (coughs) Amen. 
Matthew chapter 22, beginning with the first verse, going to verse 14. And the Bible says this, And Jesus answered, and spake unto them again by parables, and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants, and entreated them spitefully, and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies, and destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways, and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to his servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. We'll be speaking for a few minutes on this topic. Between called and chosen. Between called and chosen. Amen. In this parable, Jesus depicts a wedding feast, a dinner. And this dinner kind of represents to us all of the privileges of the new covenant. Every privilege that we have in this dispensation are represented or depicted by this dinner. The blessings of the covenant, forgiveness and remission of sins, God's favor in our lives, peace that passes all understanding, joy unspeakable and full of glory, exceeding good and precious promises, access to the throne of God, promise of everlasting life with Him. All of these things are wrapped up in this gospel message depicted by this dinner, this wedding feast. This is the dinner that's prepared for Christ's wedding to the church. When we enter into this new covenant, the Bible says that we are espoused to Christ. We're engaged, if you will. Someday we're going to be enjoying the wedding feast proper with Jesus in heaven. The Bible depicts it as a feast. Now we all like feasts from time to time. Feasts are fun. It's a time and a place of plenty. When you go to a buffet, you go to a feast. The idea is that the food is not going to run out. And I can eat as much as I can until I'm full. It's a time of rejoicing, a time of laughter. It's a time of fellowship with your fellow man. It's a good time. It's an enjoyable, pleasant time. It typifies the gospel message and the life that we are to live under the new covenant. Now, we understand life isn't always a bed of roses physically, but spiritually, we enjoy a feast every single day, or we should. We ought to. It's certainly available to us. There is no time in a Christian's life or walk where he should be spiritually hungry or spiritually starved. 
We can at any time and in any place open the Word of God, especially in the Western world. We can feed our souls from the living Word. We can enter into a place of prayer. And we can receive from Him whatever it is we have need of. This dispensation, spiritually speaking, is a time of plenty. But it comes at great cost. The days of feast under the law is also a time of sacrifice. It's a time of slaughter. The oxen, the lambs, the bullocks, the goats, they are killed. This particular wedding feast is prepared on the foundation of Christ's ultimate sacrifice at Calvary. Every promise that we enjoy, every blessing that we receive is free to us. But it's not free. Somebody paid it. Somebody paid for the blessings that we enjoy today. And that someone was Jesus Christ. There's always a price to be paid, church. There's always a price to be paid. It's going to be paid by someone else or it's going to be paid by you. When I was growing up, <clears throat> talking to other people and how they grew up, I had it pretty good, actually. I had it okay. My parents weren't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I never, ever went hungry. There was always food on the table. There was always a present under the Christmas tree. There was always a present for my birthday. My parents, I could have given them some critiques, told them how they could do a little bit better. But overall, I think they probably did okay. I'll give them a C+. <laughs> I'm glad they're not here. <laughs> don't tell them. Don't tell them, I, don't tell them I said that. No, they did good. They did good. But every once in a while, and, uh, you know, people didn't, I don't think anyway, they didn't go out to eat as much as they do today. I know we didn't. It, when we went out to eat, uh, even McDonald's, I mean, that was huge. That was a big deal. And that, that was exciting to us. I'd go in. I can still see the place. I can still smell it, how it smelled. And, and when we got that Happy Meal, I mean, it was, it was so good. So good. And I enjoyed the, the snot out of that. It was so wonderful. But I didn't pay a dime for it. I didn't, I didn't pay anything for it. I just, I just put my order in and boom, there it was. Now later on, when I decided, you know, I, I'm in the army now, I'm making the big bucks, I come home on leave, I want to take my parents out. So I did. And I took them out the first time ever. And uh, that was expensive. I was like... And then the thought occurred to me, they're paying that, they were paying that all the time. And not just for us three. I mean, it was the whole family. They were paying for the whole family. I was like, that, that had to have been expensive. And I never even thought about it. The thought had never crossed my mind. It just, there's the food. Just like it always is. But that food was free to me, but it wasn't free, was it? Someone paid for that food. 
Now, bless God, me and my wife pay for the food. My parents don't pay for it anymore. Maybe if I asked them, they could. Ah, never mind. <laughs> so the king, in, in this parable, he sends out invitations. Was so great an event? The king is attending. The king's son is attending. You'd think that this would have been a big deal. You'd think that this this would be everyone was was expecting this, and it would have been a high honor to be invited to this thing. It would have been a big deal to get into this thing. But the king has to promote the event so much so that he has to send his servants out door to door, passing out invitations so that people would come to his wedding feast. We see in Scripture that God is always the initiator. He's always the one that that initiates a relationship between us and Him. He's the one that draws the covenant up. He's the one that presents it. And He's the one that enforces the, the rights and the responsibilities thereof. All we do is we read it and we say yes or no. We were never the ones out looking for a relationship with God. Not once. He sought us out. And He continued to seek us out. God sends the invitation to everybody. Everyone is invited. Everyone is called. And the only way for that to be rescinded is for us to disqualify ourselves. We read in the parable that He sent the invitation out to everybody. And later on, He told the servants, go find others, because the ones that were invited were not worthy. Well, why would He send an invitation to someone that's not worthy? Well, the quick answer is, they were. But they disqualified themselves. How did these people respond to the king's invitation? At first it says they simply would not come. What it doesn't say is they could not come. We spoke recently on the power of choice, the power of free moral agency. And we're going we're gonna to get into specifics here tonight on that power that all of us have. The Bible says that they would not come. They made a choice. They made a decision. They could have said yes, but they said no instead. They made light of it. And they went back to their lives. They made light of this gospel message. They made light of the fact that sometime in our future, we are going to be catapulted headfirst into eternity. And we are going to stand before a judgment seat and give an account for our lives. We're going to give an account for every choice we made, every word that we've said. And people are going to make light of that. They're going to minimalize that. Marginalize it. Some even abused and killed the servants of the king. The king sends his servants to others. Because the others were not worthy. They had disqualified themselves by their choices and by their actions. They were called first. 
because of their actions, because of their choices. They were not chosen. They were instead rejected and declared unworthy. Now this next section is the part of the parable that bothers me the most. And before we get into that, we're going to take a little segue into the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8, verses 5 through 21. It's a lengthy reading, but necessary for our message tonight. We're going to read about a man named Simon. Simon the sorcerer, he is referred to as. Starting with verse 5, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame, were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man named Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery, and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Now, before I continue, I must say, a strict reading of this passage of Scripture seems to indicate to me that Simon was, in, was part of that group that received the Holy Ghost. That's how I read this. He was part of they. So Simon, we read, was baptized and by inference that he received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Let's continue. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Now how can that even be possible? He was baptized in Jesus' name. He repented of his sins. He was filled with the Holy Ghost. But the apostle says his heart is not right in the sight of God. He goes on to say that he's in the grip of bitterness. How could that be possible? I'll tell you how it's possible. As human beings, and as, not as human beings, as children of God, you've got to understand that just because you've got the Holy Ghost, just because you're baptized in Jesus' name, that doesn't mean you're right in the sight of God. I can still lose out with God. 
and so can you. It's possible to be in church, to feel the presence of God, worship God, pay your tithes, amen the pastor, and not be right with God. It's possible to do that, to live like that. And our parable continues. The king discovered someone without a wedding garment. Someone who said yes to the invitation, but had no inward desire to celebrate the wedding supper. This individual has one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. This individual wants the benefits of the kingdom, but still wants to determine right and wrong themselves. They still want to determine their own direction for themselves. How they're going to live their lives. As the saying goes, they want a Savior, but not a Lord. Interestingly, none of the other guests seemed to notice this lack of wedding garment. But the king saw him, and the king engaged him. God confronted this individual because he was lukewarm. His heart was not right. With God. He had not made up his mind yet. He had not yet made his choice. He had one foot in both worlds. And there are a lot of people like that. There are people that go to our churches who are like that. They'll do the bare minimum they can so that they can enjoy the pleasures of the world. And they'll rationalize it and they will offer their defenses for it. But at the end of the day, folks, it comes down to choice. You're going to serve one of two masters. We talked about this. There's only two to choose from. You're going to serve one. You can't serve both. You can't. You can try to straddle the fence. Good luck. You're going to wear out fast. At some point in time, we're going to make a choice. You straddle the fence, you're going to tip one way or the other. But the king saw this man that had no wedding garment on. He asked him about it. What was the man's defense? (laughs) He had no defense, he was speechless. He was speechless. Because of this, he was disqualified from the wedding feast and was bound and he was cast out. And the parable ends by saying, For many are called, but few are chosen. Church, there's a great divide between called and chosen. A huge divide. We can see this divide illustrated in the lives of great men of Scripture. We see Joseph. The coat of many colors. He had all of these dreams. God gave him visions. He's going to be ruler. He's going to be the ruler of his his brethren. And then he gets sold into slavery. And then he goes to jail. Not a good start. God told him 
what was going to take place. God told him his plans. This is where you're ending up. But how he got there was very weird, very strange by our standards. Between the calling and the choosing, there has to be this no man's land. We see Moses. Moses was to be the deliverer. He tried under his own power. He tried with his own methods. And it failed. He ran. He ended up in the backside of the wilderness for 40 years where God could prove him and God could test him. In every Christian's walk, if you're going to be a Christian, and what I mean by Christian is you're pursuing God with everything you've got. You have love for the Lord and you're going to do whatever it takes to serve Him. I'm not talking about the so-called nominal Christians, of which we have far too many. I'm talking about those that are sold out. Those that are intending, purposing in their heart to move forward with God no matter what. Those individuals, between their calling and their choosing, there's going to be a time of testing. This right here, this is where people are called. You hear about people being called to the ministry. Okay, typically they mean some kind of five-fold ministry. We understand everyone is a minister. Everyone needs to feel a calling to some ministry. Everyone. And I don't care what ministry it is, it's important. Why? Because God called you to it. God doesn't do anything. He does everything for a reason. If you're called to a ministry, it's absolutely vital. It's vital. God wouldn't have called you otherwise. He doesn't do anything extraneously. So this calling is where God reveals the future, if you will. This is Joseph's dream right here. But you're not going to get up and, and take a church at this point. You're not going to get up and go evangelizing. You're not going to get up and, and go to, to West Africa and start, start being missionary work. Not at this point. You're not qualified yet. God's simply telling you His plans, His desires for you. Between this point and you set foot in Africa, there's a process. If you look at the life of King David, actually, let's look at the life of King Saul for a moment. That's what happens when you go right into it. Saul was an absolute nobody. Tribe of Benjamin, smallest tribe in, in Israel. His family was a nobody catapulted to be king of all of Israel. It destroyed him. He had no clue what to do. There was no time of proving, no time of testing, no time of qualifying. And if you're going to serve God in the manner that He desires to ser you to serve, if you're going to fulfill the, the ministries that He's given us, then we have got to go through that time of testing. Ministries are not born here. 
They're revealed here. But they're not born here. They're born in the fire. They're born in the furnace of affliction. They're born in times of testing and temptation. They're born in times of trial. Where God can hammer at you. Where God can rip things out of you and put things back into you. Where God can destroy you and build you back up. I'm going to be real here. If you can't handle that, then you're going to say no to God. And you're going to disqualify yourself from the service that He has ordained for you from the foundation of the world. That's the only... That's the only way to get there. There's no shortcuts in this, folks. None. You're going to go through affliction and hammering and testing, or you're not going to do it at all. That's the only way. If you're going to make it from called to chosen, it's going to be through the furnace of affliction. There's a great divide between being called to salvation and actually entering into heaven. The day I got the Holy Ghost was a great day, and so was yours. One of the best days of my life. But I ain't in heaven yet. I'm still here. And that means that I can still make a dumb choice. I still have the potential to lose out with God. And so do you. And I've got, to, I've got to understand that. And I've got to take that seriously. My power of choice needs to be focused on making the right one. Getting me to heaven. Getting me closer to God. Getting me more in tune with what He's wanting to do with me. Because if I start taking this for granted, I take it lightly, esteem it lightly. I'm not going to miss it when it's gone. There's a great divide between being called to a ministry and actually qualifying for that ministry, entering into the ministry. Many things are going to transpire between being called and being chosen. But easy and hard, how you choose to respond to each event is going to push you closer to or farther away from your calling. You're called to salvation. But you're not saved yet. Not until you hear those gates click behind you. God saves us every day. Try to understand what I'm saying here. But the ultimate salvation is when I'm in heaven. That's when I'm saved. That's when I made it. I'm called to a ministry, and so are you. But every day we've got to qualify for that ministry. If you've entered into the ministry that God's chosen you for, you can still disqualify yourself by the power of your choice. I'm called to a closer walk with Jesus. 
Are my choices moving me toward that or moving me away from that? Folks, I can't, no one can force you to serve Jesus Christ. No one can. I can put a gun to your head and I still can't force you to do it. Because you can still say no. Nobody can force you to live for God. And once you choose that, no one can force you to move forward in that. If you're satisfied, there's nothing anyone can do to move you forward. If you're not satisfied, there's nothing anyone can do to persuade you to stop moving forward. Because the choice is always yours. Sometimes the choice is easy. Sometimes it's difficult. But it's still a choice. And it's yours. And yours only. That choice needs to be made every single day. If we are going to be chosen. Everyone is called, church. Everyone is called. But those that make it, And those that don't, the only difference is the choices that were made along the way. How I choose to respond to the circumstances and situations God places me in. Do I choose to trust God? Do I choose to put my faith in Him? Or do I choose to complain and murmur? Do I choose to backslide? Do I choose to try a different method? There's plenty of options out there. But there's only one right choice. And that's to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. To put our trust and our hope and our confidence in Him. No one can or will force a professing Christian to come to church, come to prayer, live according to Scripture, or draw closer to God. But these choices and these choices alone determine my walk with God. And they will determine my place in God's kingdom. Wherever I end up in God's kingdom is because of me. My relationship with God, if it's close or distant, that's because of me. God desires an intimate relationship with all people. Everyone. That's God's perfect will. It's God's perfect will for every person born to be Christ-like. To reflect His image. How well I do that, that's up to me. The choices that I make with my life. We read about the parable of the talents. Some people get a bunch of talents. And others only get one. Does that matter? It does to a lot of people. But not to God. It doesn't matter in the kingdom. God's going to give you as much talent as you need. And He's going to supply the rest. It's not the amount of talents we receive of the Lord that matters. It's what we choose to do with them that matters. If I only have one talent, I need to use that talent in the service to the kingdom. With all my heart, I need to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with that one talent. And when He sees that I'm faithful in that one talent, maybe He'll give me another one. Maybe He'll move me somewhere else. I don't know. But I'm qualifying myself for greater service. When I receive the Word of God, I see something in Scripture. 
God speaks to me in prayer. The Word of God comes from the pulpit, and I receive that. What am I going to choose to do with that? The choice is mine. Well, you, you don't understand where I live and, and what I have to deal with. Maybe not. Maybe I don't understand. But I do understand that that does not supersede your power of choice. We always have the ability to choose. I can choose my attitude. Did you know that? That guy makes me so mad. Does he really have that kind of power over you? No. You might be giving him power over you. But he's not making you mad. You're choosing to react that way. Make a different choice. Folks, this is, this is a powerful idea. The idea that we have free moral agency is huge. When a special service is called, do I choose to go or do I choose to stay home? When God tells us to do something, do we choose to obey or do we choose to disobey? Every single one of these choices determines our walk with God. It determines our ministries and it ends up determining our salvation. People always want to ask, well, is this really a salvation issue? Is this doctrine or is this topic, is that a salvation issue? Is that a heaven or hell issue? Well, maybe not. But I promise you this, any one of those tertiary issues can become a heaven or hell issue if you allow it to. If you let rebellion get in your heart, if you let disobedience get in your heart and stubbornness, that can lead to you losing out with God. Well, since I can do this, let's just use standards or holiness as an issue. You, know, you all understand how I feel about holiness, right? I hope. It's from the inside out. Yes? If you don't have it on the inside, it doesn't really matter what's on the outside. We need holiness in here. If we have holiness in here, it's going to naturally be reflected not only by how I dress, but where I frequent. The things that I do with my time. The, the things that I allow into my brain. My ears. All of that's going to be affected by what's in here. Now I can, I can force all of that externally, but it doesn't matter. That's, as they say, putting perfume on a pig. It doesn't matter if it's not in here. Okay, so, with that out of the way. As an example... This is what always, is this a heaven or hell issue? Holiness, standards, however you want to call it. Yes and no. No, strictly speaking. But, it's like, I heard this example. I think this is from Jeff Arnold. <clears throat> I'm married to my wife. I can come in one evening out of the the pig farm with my 
my boots all covered with manure. I can stomp all over the kitchen, get a glass of water. My wife comes in, Jeffrey, get those boots off. I just cleaned in here. And I turn around and show my marriage certificate and say, woman, we're married. It doesn't matter if I have these boots on or not. We're married. And that's kind of that's kind of what holiness is. Yes, you're married to Jesus. Yes, you are in a relationship with him. But if you want a happy relationship, take the boots off. And they went on to say it might determine whether or not you stay married. And that's where it gets hairy. That's where it gets iffy. Because if you insist, I don't have to do that. You might get to a point where you just would rather exit the relationship altogether. And that's what I'm talking about. These tertiary issues, more or less, can become salvation issues if you allow it to be. My advice to everybody is just get as close to Jesus as you can. Pursue Him with everything you have. Love Him with all of your heart. Love His Word with all of your heart. And everything else takes care of itself. Because if you love God with all of your heart, someone can come to you with the most ridiculous, ornery attitude and tell you something stupid, and you'll be, yes, sir, I just want to serve God. I just want to please Jesus. Right? doesn't matter if someone's stupid or not. That doesn't affect the fact that I love Jesus and I'm, I'm doing everything I can to serve Him. That's a choice. That choice is made easier or harder based on my relationship with God. If I'm pursuing Him with all my heart, those choices become real easy to move forward with Him. And if someone wants to tell me something stupid or, or something even not stupid, that I don't want to hear right now. I can receive that. Why? Because I love God with all my heart. I'm doing everything I can to serve and to please Him. And if I determine that what this individual is telling me is going to please God, then that's good enough for me. When I first came into church, I told you how I was dressed. And I continued to dress like that for a few weeks afterward. Well, there was, a, there was a girl I was sweet on there, and, and I know, <laughs> she already knows. And I asked a friend of mine, you know, hey, about this person, and I said, she seems a little bit nervous. And he's like, he's trying to hem and haw, and you know, what, what, just tell me. Well, it's the way you're dressed. And I'm like, okay, what's wrong with the way I'm dressed? I had, you know, these really short shorts on and a tank top. 
What's wrong with that, right? Um, well, he, he proceeds to give me a little mini Bible study on, on holiness and standards. I'd never heard that before. I had no clue. Seriously. I was oblivious to that. And I was like, dude, why didn't you tell me something earlier? I've been dressing like this for three weeks. Now I felt foolish. But God had put something in here. I didn't care about this. I had bigger things in, in mind. That, that never worked out. And that's a good thing. <laughs> but what I did get from it was that this is the way in which I can serve God. I can please God this way. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to serve Him. God had given me some amazing things. I wanted so desperately to please Him with my life and to do everything I could to, to, to draw closer to Him and to reflect His image. So when you get that attitude, when you get that in your hearts, then those choices become a whole lot easier. These things determine our walk with God. Is my walk with God growing and vibrant and exciting? Do I wake up looking forward to my time with God? No, that's not going to happen 100%. But overall, it should. It should. You should wake up a little bit excited about what God's going to do in my life today. What's God going to tell me today? What, what is He going to show me in His Word today? That's exciting. It should be. Overall. Like I said, you're not going to feel like it 100%. But overall, it should be an exciting period of your, of your day. Or is your walk with God stagnant? Don't really want to pray. Find excuses not to come to church. Etc., etc. Those will help determine wh where your walk with God is. Our ministries. Does God speak through me? Am I confident in God's answer when I pray? Am I focused on pursuing that ministry that God has given me? Or is it, I don't really have one, not really interested in knowing, not engaged, that's only for spiritual people, etc., etc.? Who should be spiritual? Yeah, everybody, right? Our salvation. Am I moving every day toward heaven? Or am I moving every day toward hell? Again, those are the only two places to move towards. And everyone's moving somewhere. Nobody stays stagnant. This is a moving stream. And if you want to just float, you're going to go back. Everyone's moving somewhere. And if I'm going to move toward heaven, it's going to be on purpose. It's going to be because I'm choosing daily to move there. Now, if this seems a little bit hard or a little bit uh, negative, understand the other side of it. If one of those negative uh, situations apply to you, well, you're only one choice away from flipping that around. 
if you've been making poor choices, if you've been making choices that lead you away from God, all you've got to do is start making different choices. You're still breathing. You're still here. You still have an opportunity to qualify. And that's an awesome thing. By simply making different choices, we can begin to qualify ourselves again for greater service. And it really is that simple. It's not always easy. But the solution is very simple. Make a different choice. We can qualify ourselves for a closer walk with Jesus by the power of our choices alone. And only you can make that choice. No one else will. No one else will. That means, though, that you don't have to wait around for someone else to get their act together. You can decide right now, I'm going to get my act together. All i got to do is wait on me. That was always, when I first heard that it was in a business sense, business connotation, but that was so empowering to me. I'm in charge of me. I can't control you, but i got full control of me. I loved hearing that. Because now I don't have to wait on anybody else. I can just start doing this all on my own. I can start moving toward Jesus all by myself. All I need is Jesus to help me do that. Now, I love walking alongside someone, and whenever possible, yeah, help is great. Counsel is awesome. But if none of that is available, if I'm living in a situation where everybody else in the household hates God, if I'm living in a, in a, in a situation where I'm the only one that has any desire at all to serve Jesus, I can still serve Jesus Christ. It's still my choice. They're not going to like it, probably. They're not going to like me for the choices I'm making. And it's going to be hard sometimes to make these choices. But I can still make them. It's my choice to make. They've made their choice. That's their choice to make. But I'm going to make my choice. I'm choosing Jesus. That's my choice. And I'm going to choose that every single day. I get up in the morning, I'm choosing Him to pursue Him, to walk forward in Him, to learn a little bit more of God's Word, to spend more time with Him in prayer, to draw closer to Him, to become more like Him. That's my choice. When you understand everything that's at stake, it really is, or ought to be, an easy choice to make. All of this is coming to a close. Not just the message, which this is too, but our lives. Our lives are coming to a close at some point. And then I get to give an account. I am responsible for the choices that I made here. And you might say, well, I can get around this by just not making a choice. No, sir, no, ma'am. You're choosing not to choose. Whoopsies. That's, I don't know if that's a logical fallacy, but maybe it ought to be. <laughs> You're still making a choice. 
We work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And we'll close with this. You're going to stand one day before Jesus Christ and give an account for the choices you make. Let's determine tonight and every day hereafter that in that day we're going to live our lives so that when we stand before Jesus Christ, we can give our account with joy. Amen. Let's all stand. Thank you, Jesus, that you have entrusted us, you've given us this awesome power of choice. Help us to use that power to temper it with wisdom, to temper it with understanding, to choose daily those things that will move us closer to you, to choose daily those things that serve to please you. That's our desire, to please you, to demonstrate our love for you. I pray, Lord, that in this congregation, in this assembly, those joining us online, that we would use this power that You've given us every day hereafter to choose You, to choose to move forward in You. Those ministries that You have created us for, if we're in somewhere in the middle between called and chosen, help us to make choices that move us closer to that ministry. Help us to make choices that, that serve to please You. We want to make it to heaven. We want to demonstrate to You our love and our obedience to You. Bless Your people tonight, I pray. Work wondrously, gloriously in their lives. Bless them in every conceivable way. Help us, Lord, as, as Your body to move closer to You, to become more like You, to become effectual in this kingdom. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.